Welcome to the podcast, In and Through exists to equip the church to be hearers and doers of the word. My name's Tim. My name's Marshall. How you feeling, Marshall? Spicy. Yes, you are. Kind of. You were excited before we even hit record. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. I got mm. some, I got some, there's some bunny trails. Oh, yeah. There's some grandstanding. Yeah, so so we started... <laughs> there's a bunch of stuff happening today. We started mapping out this next section, mm-hmm. and we just decided... It's going to be as many episodes as it turns out to be. Yeah. It's just part one, two, three, whatever. Oblivion. Yeah. Right. It might just become the new topic of the podcast from here on out. <laughs> Not quite, but yeah. for, for a bit it might, yeah. Yeah. So, so recently, mm. we've been talking about general revelation. Yes. Right? Now we're going to talk about special revelation. Mm-hmm. And by that we mean... The Bible. The Bible. B-I-B-L-E. Basis, Which, basic instructions no, before leaving. Stop. <laughs> I hate that. I hate that so much. I know you're doing that because I'm just you know you. that I hate it, and you, I'm, I'm, and you know that I used it in a sermon recently. But here, here's the issue that I have with that. It's not basic. It's not. It's very deep, very rich, and has been debated forever. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing basic about it. It's not instructional. I mean, the sum of it is. It's revelatory. Yeah, primarily re- revelatory. Yeah. Revelatory. It's, there is instruction inside, but it's not a book of instruction. Right. So what its purpose is to say, this is the truth about God, and this is the truth about mankind. In response, you should do this, right? Yeah. It's a call to worship, not instruction. It's not moralistic or formulaic. Right. Right? It's right. a call to worship, and this is what worship looks like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, let's see if we can just knock off every letter. Uh, before leaving Earth, there's so much about this that is anticipation of a hope to come. Right. It's, right. it's by no means bound to this life. Right. Yeah, that's true. Right? In fact, all of the... If you would even still want to hold on to the word instruction, mm-hmm. is in preparation for a future hope. Yeah, this is not what this episode is about. Yeah, the le- the leaving. I mean, let me see. Well, while you could say that you know, in eternity, our eternity, our eternal destiny is an earthly one, but it's a redeemed earth. Mm-hmm. So, like this whole idea of some kind of other realm where we're going to exist permanently is not. Not what we see in scripture. Not what we see in scripture. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, well, you know what? Here's my theory. Okay. I think you came in here spicy mm. and you're just trying to fire me up. <laughs> I don't want to be like, I don't want to seem like the mean one. So, I just got to get you cranked up a couple notches so we can just kind of. Yeah. Both. Be Someone spicy. is riding the both of us because I hear yours beep yeah, and then I feel I just, mine vibrate. Yeah. I got to just mute this computer. It's actually not my wife for once. I don't know who Someone's it is. Someone's sending memes. Probably. Probably Eric. <laughs> Eric, stop sending us memes for podcasting. He doesn't know. It's fine. Okay. All right. So what are we actually going to talk about? Well, we already kind of said what we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about the, today we're going to talk about the Bible as a book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? The book itself. Yeah. And I think we're mostly going to focus on the Old Testament today. Probably. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, by, by and large. We'll see how far we get. Right. So first... The Bible and Other Ancient Myths. Yes, that's a great book. It is actually, yeah. I've got the Bible ab- among, uh, among Other Myths or just Among uh, Myths? Among the Myths. Okay. Uh, great book. Author? John N. Oswalt. Yeah. So we each have a copy because seminary. Yeah, they just, everybody, you went to a totally different seminary in a different country and it was like, I knew that you had this on your shelf. I just, because that's sometimes how seminary works. Mm-hmm. It's just, yeah. Yeah. So so the notion is a lot of times when people want to discredit scripture, mm. they'll say every religion has its holy book. Yep. Which is also not true. Not every religion has a holy text. That's um true. and That's true. and and what the point is to say is to equate them all. The purpose of equating them all is to disregard them all. Right? right. If right. you can say they all have one, 
They all claim a truth. Therefore, none of them are true. Right. Which is a, a false formula. Sure. One of them could still be true. Yeah. I would argue is. I right? agree. Uh, I'm glad <laughs> for the for the livelihood of your family and for the sake of your eternal soul. Um, so, so that that sort of everyone has a myth story. Everyone has a holy book. Is the Bible just another one of those? Right. 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 At which case, they will throw out all kinds of stories. Oh yeah. This story is similar to the Bible. This one was yeah. written first, and the yeah. Bible stole from it, and all that kind yeah. of stuff. So. Yeah. We're going to start off talking about that. I'm going to let you take the more detailed lead from there. Well, okay. So first, I think we need to talk about just the word myth. Mm-hmm. What does myth Absolutely. mean? Because the title of the book that kind of sparked some of the thinking in where we're going in this episode, the Bible among the myths kind of insinuates that the Bible exists in, in kind of the same realm as these myths. Mm-hmm. And technically true, but let's let's define what we mean, right? When we when we think of the word myth, there, there's a couple different definitions, and the one that we would normally kind of use on a day to day basis, if we just call something a myth, right? It's just this widely held, but ultimately false belief, right? Right. It's like, oh, uh, you can get a ticket for having the interior light on inside your car. Mm-hmm. That is a myth. It is. I didn't believe it was a myth when I was a kid. I no thought way. I thought my my stepdad made me think that like. Like literally, SWAT teams were on the way if I turned that interior light on. Oh yeah, police! Police are sitting around the corner, just waiting for that. Waiting interior for light. someone to turn on the interior light. Yeah, yep. yeah. And like, I was a nerd, so I like to read books. And I was in the back of the Astro van, and I'm thinking, "Come on, come on, Dad, just let me, just let me read." Mm-hmm. Anyways, so or or he would drive off a cliff. <laughs> yeah, or he'd be so distracted, right. or it would distract someone else so much that they couldn't possibly. Not that there the are road. any cliffs. <laughs> In southern Ontario no, to drive off of. There's nothing like that. One would be created <laughs> and you would drive off yeah, of so, it. So that when we talk about myth, typically, that's kind of what's in our, our head. It's just the same thing that maybe some people believe, but it's ultimately not true. Yeah, I, I saw a good video uh, on this, your boy Doug Wilson. Oh, yeah. You, why, why is he my boy? Because he's post mill. He's your post mill guy. Yeah, but I'm not post mill the same way Doug is. No, he goes a little bit further. He goes. He goes. Far. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I, so here's the, here's the deal with Doug Wilson. Just because his name's been brought up and <laughs> and someone's gonna Google it and be like, well, I should look into this guy. Doug Wilson takes some good theories further than they should go. Yes. He's also an incredible guy. He's hilarious. And he's a genius. He is a genius. And he's hilarious. He's so funny. <laughs> The best, the best is uh, if you're ever looking for a good. We might have mentioned this before, but if you're looking for a good kind of discussion about the various views of eschatology. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's called an evening of eschatology, and John Piper is kind of like the one kind of mediating the right. discussion. And you've got an mill, a post mill, and a pre mill. And uh, <laughs> Doug is like the post mill guy. He's like obviously the least prepared. Like he just like shows up. Just like, I'm here, whatever, let's chat. And it's just cracking jokes the whole time. Everyone is so intense on proving their point, <laughs> right? I, I don't remember who the dispensational guy is. Oh, he was so intense. But yeah. he was fired up. Yeah, yeah. Sam Storms was the all-mill guy, of course. Yep. yep. And and he's, he's I wouldn't say combative. The dispensational guy is pretty combative, mm-hmm. but there's some competition between the two of them. Oh, yeah. Doug Wilson is just dropping lines like, the millennium is the thousand years of rain, a thousand years of peace that Christians have been arguing about for 2,000 years. <laughs> I love it. Or, or, uh, He's just cracking jokes the whole time. I love yeah. It. yeah. Anyway, anyway he's, he's brilliant. But anyway, his point to this was to say, um, we have to be careful how we use the word myth Mm-hmm. Because we have to understand how the word myth is being used. Exactly. Not exactly what it means, but how it's being used. Some good examples that I've thought of in, in other realms that will help make sense of this. Mm-hmm. I would not tell people I'm a part of the Catholic Church. Right. Sometimes, if I want to be a little bit edgy, I would say the Church Catholic. Somehow flipping that brings clarity. Yeah. Uh, but by and large, just talking to someone, if I said... Of course, I'm a member of the Catholic Church, meaning Catholic as in universal church. Mm -hmm. It is technically true, but that's not how the word 
the word's not used in that technicality, and mm-hmm. it would only cause confusion. Right, right. Right? Uh, when we talked earlier about the word agnostic, right, I mentioned that I never use that word publicly. Mm. I only used it here because I had lots of space before and after to lay down the disclaimers to say agnostic just means it cannot be known. Right. And so there are elements of life, science, theology mm-hmm. that we need an agnostic position to say we don't know there's not enough evidence. Right. Right. But I would never tell people, oh yeah, I'm agnostic because there's only one thing they mean by that. Mm-hmm. Language changes and the definition of a language of a word mm-hmm. evolves over time. And I think myth is one that has evolved so far. Yeah. We have to be careful of it. Yeah. But technically if we're we, going to take we the, the technical t- basic definition, yeah. and we do have the time to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we have the time to, cause, because what a myth means, or can mean, mm-hmm. used to mean, should mean, maybe. It's technical definition. Is a traditional story, especially one concerning the early history of a people or explaining some natural or social phenomenon, and typically involving supernatural beings or events. By that definition, the Bible is most certainly a myth. By that definition. Right. Right? Because there's nothing in that definition that says it's not true. Right? So there are some who would defend Scripture as what they would call true myth. Right. Tolkien wrote, uh, the the writer of Lord of the Rings, wrote this beautiful, I think it was Tolkien, or was it Lewis? (gasps) No, I'm, okay. Mm. One of them, one of of those two, uh, wrote this beautiful paper that I read years ago on the Bible is true myth. And when I read the title, I was like, what is this guy saying? Myth, like myth is false, myth isn't mm-hmm. true. But no, myth is, myth. the idea of myth is it's it's the origin story. Right. It's, it's the foundation that sits under all of these things that occur. And in the case of scripture, well, we believe it's true. Yeah, I'm going to guess that it was probably Lewis because yeah. part of Lewis's conversion mm. was the revelation of... Um, true myth. The notion right. that an origin story can still be true, mm-hmm. even if it is an origin story, right? Okay. So, so here's where here's where this is getting hairy, and this is where where listeners right now are going. Hold up, hold up, hold up. I don't like where this is going, right? <laughs> I don't like where if you're from, if you're part of Memorial and you're listening, you're like, I don't like where my pastors are going. Right. The problem is, I look this up in a, in a book. Um, from 1997, 98-ish is when it was published. It's, okay. um, they don't, I don't even know if they make them anymore. It's called a dictionary. Um, <laughs> it's, it's sort of like Google, except everything's in alphabetical order. And so uh, we used to know our alphabet, and we used that knowledge to find entries inside of these books. Um, it's an ancient skill. Uh, <laughs> You liked that too much. I did. Like, that was stupid. I did. And no, I, I had to keep it. going with it because I loved you loved it. it. I loved it. Anyway, I, I looked it up, and, and that's the what you just read is basically the definition mm-hmm. given in that dictionary. Right. The next three definitions all used the word fiction. Right. And that's where the problem rolls in. Mm-hmm. The assumption, and, and I, maybe this is maybe this is just the weight of secular thought. The assumption that all origin stories are fictitious, mm. although there is a now, there is an existence, therefore there must have been an origin, mm-hmm. that origin told has to be a true origin story. Mm-hmm. The world cannot exist without an accurate and true, historically viable origin story. A true myth. A true myth. That's what we're saying. So, anyways, just send us the emails. We'll we'll clear it up if you haven't. If that wasn't enough for you guys. Yeah, and, and <clears throat> I, I think it's valuable enough information to know. Yeah, because I think I think there's a part of me, like you mentioned this too, right? When mm-hmm. you first came into this concept mm-hmm. of people using myth to describe the Bible, your first thought was. Everyone using that word is an absolute heretic, and I have to run from everything they ever said. Yep. Right? For sure. And that's why Doug Wilson says, don't use that word. <laughs> Even if you want to argue that it's technically true, 
the the fallout is just not worth yeah. it. And so yeah. so if anyone came to me and said, "Do you think the Bible's a myth?" I would probably say no. Right. Cuz what and, they probably mean is a made-up story. And then I would qualify. I would qualify that. I would say I do believe it's an origin story, but seeing mm-hmm. as how myth has come to mean fictitious, mm-hmm. I'm staying away from sure. the word. Yeah. So moving moving along from that nice little 10 minute tangent on the word myth. Sorry about that guys. Um, don't the, be, they loved it. <laughs> we'll find out the, the, the Bible's creation account, like the origin story that we find in the Bible is it has some similarities, but it is quite distinct mm-hmm. from the other origin stories in the ancient world. Yeah. Right. What the Babylonians or the Assyrians or the Egyptians, all these ancient civilizations, all their ancient texts, like, People, people love to kind of find the similarities, and there are, and we'll talk about them in a, in a couple minutes, but but there are some really distinct things mm-hmm. if we talk about just, just creation itself. Um, the first thing is that there's no origin story for God himself. Right. Right? In all of these other legends, um, you know, you can even think of maybe forms of mythology that you're more familiar with, like Greek mythology or Norse mythology, like the gods aren't eternally existent mm-hmm. they are they have a birth they're they're made right um you know in, in the bible there's no divine family tree god doesn't have a wife right he doesn't have like brothers that he's fighting with he doesn't have a dad that's not it's not it's not that's not how it works right in right. all these other mythologies you have this these these kind of this clan of gods right this is war these warring factions of gods and that kind of leads to the next thing that there is no rival god to the one true god in the bible Mm -hmm. he's alone right satan is an enemy but satan is a satan is was his uh inferior and that inferior rebelled but god has no real rival Mm -hmm. right you have no rival you have no that's a great bridge um yeah, he doesn't. Like he's he's alone. He's on another level. Period. There is nothing that can threaten him, right? And that is so unlike every other belief system that came out of the ancient world. Um, his creation is ex nihilo, right? So that's just the fancy word for he made things out of nothing, right? And and this is where I would argue the greatest difference is. Oh, it's huge, right? Uh, I, I would even I would even tack this on to your first one, okay, where you talk about God Himself having an origin. Mm. Because the more I thought about this, the more I the more I wrestled with the notion of all other origin stories use nat- use nature to explain nature. Right. Right. The idea of a myth is to say this will help you make sense of what's going on around you. Right? How did we get here? These questions have always been asked. Right. Why do things happen the way that they happen? Right? Giant beaver splashes his tail, the oceans. Right. Right? Um, but there's always a giant beaver right. or a, a giant turtle right. that the world sits on mm-hmm. or a lotus flower. Right. Right? There's, there are always these natural things, observable things. Mm-hmm that bring about everything that is right in a in a very bizarre way that still makes you go well where does the lotus flower come from right right so none of them have that true beginning that the judeo christian creation narrative offers right yeah right someone outside something outside of time and space that brings about time and space mhm mhm but isn't itself subject to it. Exactly. Or familiar within it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, it speaks to why ultimately, you know, we, it's part of the reason anyways, why the Judeo, or I shouldn't even just say Judeo, but the, the Christian religion has been so successful is because it just makes more sense. Makes more sense than these ancient myths. It makes mm-hmm. more sense than, than you know, ancient Babylonian myths where you know Enlil kills Tiamat the serpent and uses her guts to make the world. Mm-hmm. Like what? What right. is that? Right? Or or like the Native American legend of like the world on the back of a turtle floating around. You know what I mean? Like 
No, it just that doesn't make sense. But but we can, even though we can't totally comprehend an infinite God who has always existed and who is all powerful, like we can't totally wrap our minds around that. It's it it's a more logical. I mean, we and we just spent the last month and a half arguing that it's a much more logical uh, interpretation of how things came to be. Right? right. It's just a better. It's just a better answer. Mm-hmm. Um. And the last thing I want to point out that maybe is distinct to in biblical creation versus, you know, these other cultures is just the significance and value of human life. It's huge. Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes, you know, human beings have an interesting kind of like origin story or whatever in, in some of these other um, ancient myths. But, but in the Bible, it's very significant that man and woman are created in, in the image of God, that they're given dominion. Um, over the earth, that they're stewards, that they have a relationship with God, they walk with him in the garden, right? Um, That is obviously broken at the fall, uh, spoiler alert, but that's an important relationship, right? And it's an important, humanity holds an important place. Um, Certainly not as equal to God, but as, as special in creation. So anyways, that's, that's kind of like, that's kind of some of the big ways that when we talk about like the origin of the origin story, how the Bible is unique and different. Yeah, yeah, I think so. <clears throat> but there are similarities too, right? I mean, can, I don't. Know, do you have any off the top of your head like some similarities, some things that maybe, um, from other old like old myths? Yeah, I I think that there's there are uh, flood narratives. Yeah, in so, a lot of different. Uh, Religions, ancient. Yeah. This is what we call the A and E, the ancient Near East. Mm-hmm. Uh, many of the A and E societies have a flood narrative. Oh yeah, yeah, right. And and a lot of times, what people will do is they'll look to the flood narrative and they'll say the Bible stole this mm-hmm. because it was written here first. Right. Um, a couple of things to note: the A and E existed off of uh, sharing an oral tradition, Mm -hmm. right? Not a written tradition. Written traditions come later. Mm -hmm. First, there's an oral tradition, right? Just because you're the first to write doesn't mean you're the first with the story. Yeah, it doesn't mean you got it right. Yeah. Yeah, so so just because you penned the story doesn't mean you came up with the story. It could be that another group had the oral tradition for a thousand years. Mm -hmm. They just didn't develop an alphabet when you did. Right, right. Right? So so we can't take this whole like, oh, well, in the Canaanites in cuneiform have had this written, but the Bible doesn't pin it until Moses, and so this predates, so Moses stole. Not necessarily. Yeah. Right? Could have been telling the story all along. Mm-hmm. Uh, there just wasn't a means for pinning this until Moses does. Uh, so so the first thing I would say is is just because we can date tablets doesn't mean we can date the story. Right. Secondly, I would say if every group has a similar story, the likelihood of that story being valid is exponentially increased. Oh, yeah. Right? For sure. Because basically what you're doing is being like, my granddad used to tell me this story about a flood. Interestingly enough, my granddad used to tell me the story no about way. a flood. <laughs> Everyone's granddad used to tell them the story about a flood. You know what? There might have one time been a major flood. <laughs> Something worth talking about. Right, right. And the details, the similarity in the details, might just be validation mm-hmm. of the event. Mm-hmm. Now, are the details going to be different in the Bible than they are in other A&E writings? They are. Sure. They are different. So the question is, why? Yeah, yeah. And and so I would say the flood is one of them. Uh, the Tower of Babel yeah. is is not an uncommon one. Yeah. And, and I would point to this. I would say uh, that the Tower of Babel is something that shows up in a variation mm-hmm. across ancient religions, might just show the confusion of languages right. in various traditions. <laughs> well... The the idea too, like it's in so in one of the Babylonian origin stories called the Enuma Elish, right? It talks about this this tower that one of the gods Marduk builds, right, to show that he is divine and greater and blah blah blah. But like Babel, like there's a direct connection between Babel and Babylon. Like that mm-hmm. ba- Babel is a precursor to Babylon, right? Like Babel is representative of human society apart from God's reign, right? Right. And so like. 
yeah, like, of course it happened. And of course they would remember building a tower. Now they might, uh, you know, choose to not record the confusion or maybe there's embarrassing details that they, you know, the Babylonians themselves might ignore. But, but again, it just points to, no, there's some major events that are happening in this, you know, cradle of civilization in that part of the world that, you know, even after hundreds and thousands of years of people kind of being split up and speaking different languages and whatnot, like, these stories are persisting. Yeah, right? and, and so here's... I, I think what this does is it it begs the question, why then do we trust the details of the biblical account mm-hmm. and not the Babylonian account? Right, right. So here's my answer to that, and it's a, it's a leap forward. I'll grant you that. Uh, I believe that not only were these stories recorded historically mm-hmm. and with en- enough corroborating detail to say something like this happened. Mm -hmm. When the Bible is penned by revelation of God, we not only have the what happened, but God's insight as to why it happened. Right. And that's where we start getting deeper into some of the things like Hmm. the state of man's heart in building the tower. Right. What he was trying to achieve and why God brought an end to that why God created confusion among them in order to humble them, mm-hmm. right? And so those things come as a part of God saying, "Let me, I want you to write down these historical events and let me tell you mm-hmm. a little bit more about them that you wouldn't have otherwise known, Yeah. right? And, and sometimes people, people will argue, well, the Bible is just a national myth, mm. Right? Like the Babylonians had their own thing. The Israelites have their own thing. They're just trying to tell everybody where they came from, stuff mm-hmm. like that. So many of these arguments, especially this argument, it bothers me to no end mm. because I just want to say those people have never read the Old Testament. Yeah, they couldn't have. If, if you were going to write a story to say this is where our people came from and why we're the people of God— you would not have like 80% of the story being how everyone failed. Right. We're all failures. <laughs> we kept making mistakes. God made us a promise and right. we blew it over and over and over again. But yeah. God's grace and his patience, mm-hmm. he did a thing through us that couldn't otherwise be done. He told us all the time, there are definitely better nations than you. There yeah. are bigger nations. There are more glorious nations. You you are just the smallest yeah. and the weakest. He even tells him, when I found you, you were like an abandoned child on the side of the road. Mm. And I made this of you. Right. Right? And still you're failing. Yeah. Still you're failing. And that is a terrible way to introduce yourself to the rest of the world. Yeah, it's pretty poor for if it's nationalistic propaganda. Right. <laughs> right? Like that's a pretty that's a pretty bad way to tell your own story and then be like, and see, we're the chosen people, right? Like, right. <laughs> we're the chosen people because we're the least likely to have ever been chosen. Because we barely followed the one who saved us. Right. And like, we kill- actually don't even have an origin story. There was just this man, Abram, that just was otherwise randomly chosen by God. And right. he said, you can't do this on your own, and I'm going to do it for my glory. Mm-hmm. And even at that, we worked so hard to make sure that we proved him right. In saying that we could never do this on our own. Yeah, it, it's not how nationalistic propaganda works. No, not at all. It's the opposite of that. Exactly. It is God-edifying and self-demeaning. Yep. So, Which is so, so contrary to, 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 you know, to how cultures and societies try to define themselves. Right. right. And, and, and not to jump too far ahead, but this is the exact problem that Muhammad has with the Bible. Right. When Muhammad wants to wants to read this and say these these are the people of God and the message of God to his people, he's like, why would God choose these people? These right. people are terrible. <laughs> these people have no merit by which to be chosen. Right. And he can't wrap his mind around the fact that the point of the story is God mm-hmm. and not the people. Mm-hmm. God's glory and his grace and his mercy. And so he just rewrites the book. Pretty, literally pretty much yeah literally rewrites the book removes and, the grace 
adds in moralism and there you go right all of all of the the major characters become heroes mm-hmm. without blemish yeah and uh and all of a sudden it makes sense to him that god loved these people because they were lovable right yeah and god raised them to their place mm-hmm. because they were worthy of that place yeah and god will take care of you if you dot all your t or dot all your i's and cross all your t's mm-hmm. and that is that's islam it's just moralism really. right so to call this a national myth or to say to call it a national myth just doesn't make any sense to me, mm-hmm. right? I think I think the nature of it brings validity to it because it's so honest yeah. in oh, that yeah. way. And and I think that's why the details of the Jewish story are more valid than the details of, of yeah. some of the other stories. Oh, yeah. And, and I think that's why they carry on. So those are just a couple from the primeval prologue that first mm-hmm. 11 chapters of Genesis mm-hmm. that I would say are are pretty similar. Mm-hmm. There are a lot that are claimed to be similar but aren't. Yeah. I yeah, I'm going to there's one and we're skipping ahead to to a New Testament character because one of the things that kind of blew up a, a few years ago amongst um, some of my friends and stuff was this idea that Jesus the character of Jesus is just a total rip off of the Egyptian god Horus. Oh. Right, so pe- people come up and they'll they'll throw they'll throw all these similarities between the two in your face, right? Um, and this was in like a movie Zeitgeist, and um, Bill Maher did a, a movie called Religulous, where he just like says like, oh well, you know they were uh, they're both born of a virgin, they were both baptized in a river, uh, they're both tempted in the desert, they're both healed the sick, they both had twelve disciples, they were both crucified, yada yada yada. Okay, here's the thing: if somebody just comes up to you and drops all that on you, you think. Oh my goodness. Is it true? Is the character of Jesus just a ripoff of some Egyptian deity? Well, the thing is like <clears throat> if that ever happens to you, like it doesn't take long to to just do the research yourself. Don't take their word for it because once you look at it, essentially none of those claims actually add up. So he, so if if you actually look into it, right? And keep in mind Egypt has a really long history, so we're talking about like 5,000 years of writing. Right, so there's a lot of different versions of the Horus story, and what people do is they they might try to cherry pick different parts of different myths and then cobble them together, the ones that seem closest to Jesus. But even that, they they fall short. So if you bear with me for a second here, I just want to like I want to blow this up so that so I I almost hope that somebody comes to one of you and tries to to mention this in the next little bit, and you can you can be like you're not gonna believe what I got in my pocket. <laughs> so I got answers. So the claim that Horus was born of a virgin, uh, no, Horus's father was killed, and his mother temporarily resurrected him in order to sleep with him and get pregnant. So not a virgin birth. Um, he was so there's a claim he was baptized in a river by Anup the baptizer. Oh, it's like John the Baptist, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Anup the baptizer doesn't exist in Egyptian religion. Uh, he was actually invented by a 19th century English poet who was an amateur historian, a historian, and just kind of made it up to sell books. Mm-hmm. Uh, whose whose stated aim was to disprove Christianity? Yeah, yeah, that's what he was trying to do. Yeah. Right. I don't know who, maybe some Christian, maybe some bishop of the Anglican church like hated on his poetry. And so he decided to like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what, I don't know what beef this guy had. Um, the idea that he was tempted in the desert. So in the movie Zeitgeist, they make this big argument saying that, well, because Horus was attacked by Set, the god of the desert, that's the same thing as Jesus being tempted by Satan in the desert. It's like, well, no, he's just like, there's warring amongst the gods. Mm-hmm. is not the same thing as as that whole story of Jesus being tempted. Right. Um, the fact that he healed the sick and the blind, well, not really. There was just an Egyptian spell where they would cast this spell on you and you would be temporarily possessed by the spirit of Horus and that could like heal you from poisoning or something. I mean, that's in one of the many books and of spells that exist in Egypt. Uh, the fact that he had 12 disciples, uh, that's our good English poet friend once again. Uh, he didn't. There's mention of him having four sons or these six demigods who like accompanied him. Uh, but yeah, just made up again. Uh, the fact that Horus was crucified, um, he is depicted on the walls with his arms stretched out. But there's no historical evidence that Egyptians ever even practiced crucifixion before the Romans showed up. Right. So like just because a dude has his arms out doesn't mean it's like, oh, he's crucified. Just like Jesus. Mm-hmm. Like, it's literally just got his arms out like. 
I don't know, like so did the so did the chick on the Titanic on the front of the Titanic, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, it's like it's not. Oh, it's crucifixion on the front of the Titanic, right? Right. So, anyways, I, I know that's a bit of a tangent. I know that's a bunny trail, but it's just to let people know that oftentimes when people come up and say, oh, didn't you know that this was all made up and this is all exactly like some other character or this was stolen from some other thing? Mm-hmm. Honestly, if you do any amount of digging, like that, it took me all of maybe 10 minutes to find that. Right. Like and, it does not, it's like... And, and there, you knew the name of it earlier, the movie. Zeitgeist? Yeah. So, yeah. The, so this comes on Netflix. Yeah. And makes a fortune. Sure. And... When it was probably 2012, 2013, somewhere in there, yeah. uh, Natalia, maybe you know Natalia, okay, was still in high school. She comes to me and she's like, Hey, my art teacher is having us watch this movie in class. Of course, yeah. what do you know about this? Right? And so, activist teachers. And so, I, I give her the, the information that you just had, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah. the whole, like, this is completely fabricated. Mm-hmm. Like secular videos of secular guys who are saying, yeah, Egyptologists. I don't, don't want to believe in the Bible either, mm-hmm. yet you don't get there from here because you're literally making things up. Mm-hmm. You took an Egyptian character mm-hmm. and rewrote his story. That's not the Egyptian story, mm-hmm. right? And her art teacher, she went to the art teacher and said, hey, I think you should know these things before you show that movie. Mm-hmm. And her art teacher just made the decision to not allow for conversation afterward. She was going <laughs> to she said we're going to watch the movie and then we'll talk about it afterward. Yeah. And when she got this information from Natalia, she just decided we're not going to talk about it afterward. <laughs> we're just going to show the movie. <laughs> right? And this is this is at a, a School in Mississauga, right? Uh, and just the frustration with that, right? Mm-hmm. To say, it's not true, but wouldn't it be great if it was? Imagine them showing a movie that defamed Muhammad in Mississauga. I know. How, would that, how would that go over? <laughs> but, it, but it's not just, it's not just Horus. <laughs> no, it's They do it with Mythros, too. Yeah, they do the same thing. So yeah. they do it with Mythros. Yep. Mythros might even have more problems than Horus. The first one being, Mythros... Is not a Greek god. Mm. It's a Roman god. Yeah. The story of Mithras doesn't exist until the second or third century. Right. So it follows Jesus. The story of Jesus predates this. By the second or third century, we have Christians everywhere. Oh yeah, you have maybe hundreds of thousands. Right. <laughs> and so, and so to argue that Christianity stole this story or that these are common stories, let's just attack. Roman mythology and say Roman mythology stole the story of Jesus. <laughs> yeah, maybe. that is the more probable case, right? Because uh, that's what they did, though. The Romans they 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 would do that, right? Like they were they would take other belief systems and just incorporate them into their own and kind of put their own Roman spin on it. Yeah, so it's and, entirely possible that yeah, Mithras is the Roman spin on Jesus, right? But not perfectly. Obviously not. Right? And so I, I'm stealing this from a cross-examined uh, piece. Nice. Uh, not born of a virgin, born from a rock. Fun. Although claimed to be born from a virgin. Okay. Uh, again, not a teacher, uh, but a god. So no 12 disciples, as is often claimed with Mithras. Uh, didn't sacrifice himself. He sacrificed a bull. Okay. Right? Like, that's just part of the story. Right. Uh, and there's nothing said about his death. There's no death of Mithras. So when people argue that Mithras was also raised from the dead, like, there's... There, his there's story no ends be before from. death, right? <laughs> and so... Yeah. So these things are just these opportunities where people want to say, yes, there are some stories that are similar. And... Those stories, one, aren't theological in, in, a, in a way that discredits the biblical encounter. Mm-hmm. And that there's another version of the story doesn't mean the Bible's encounter is wrong, mm-hmm. right? In fact, it could speak to the historicity of it. Right. To argue that Christianity stole from these other groups is then not something that's defensible. But in some cases, it's just a flat-out lie. Yeah. 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 And so you just need to be aware of this and you need to be aware that, you know, 
I mean, 10 years ago, right? Her Natalia's art teacher decided it would be a good use of their art class time. It'd be a good use of your tax mm. dollars, folks, to show the kids zeitgeist and not have a discussion. Yeah, because it helps them learn how to shade in. Yeah, I guess or charcoal. something. Yeah. So just just be aware. Like if you got if you got teenagers, young young adults in your life, like just like you got to prepare yourself. You, you're responsible for just knowing that this is the kind of stuff they're going to be exposed to. TikTok is huge. I don't have TikTok personally, but I I know that there it's full of people who are like you know, former Christians who are going to throw all these like, you know, paper tiger arguments against mm-hmm. what scripture teaches. But like, if your kid doesn't have a strong theological foundation and you're not prepared to answer the questions, then like they can be very convincing. Mm-hmm. Right. So just be aware of this guys. That's all I'm saying. Um, but the Bible, the Bible is just different. It's different than all the other myths. It's different than Roman and Greek mythology or Babylonian or Egyptian mythology because it's actually set in a historical framework. Right. Like it's real people living in real places. Right. Confirmable places. Right. And you're, you might be like, okay, well, we don't know exactly where the Garden of Eden is. Sure. But, but of those rivers, we do, we know of two of them for sure. Mm -hmm. The Tigris and the Euphrates, which just happened to flow through this whole ancient Near East place. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And, and, and the interesting thing about these being historical places mm-hmm. is that the study of Scripture predates archaeology. Oh, dude, yes. I'm so glad. I have, yeah, I'm glad you're going there. You, okay. No, no, go ahead. And so, and so there have been times historically, I, I know we all have this rose-colored notion that there was a time when everyone was a Christian, mm. orthodox, and glad to be. <laughs> it's not true. But at some point, rock and roll music came along <laughs> and dancing, and people started playing cards. Uh oh! And all of a Look sudden, out. now everyone is opposed right, to, right. to Jesus. Um, but but they people have been trying to disprove Christianity from the beginning of Christianity, and sure. there was there was a long period of time where the argument was the Bible keeps talking about these huge civilizations mm-hmm. that do not exist. Right. This is not a bad tactic. We use this tactic when we're talking to Mormons. Sure. The yeah. Mormons talk about these massive city-states in the American colonies that mm-hmm. we're like, all right, find them. There are, there are huge teams mm-hmm. of Mormon archaeologists that are working to find these places and I, can't. I hope they're wearing like white... <laughs> Like white dress did. shirts and ties yeah. and little name tags as they're in the jungle. Like that would just make me make my day. Yeah. So <laughs> so it's not it's not necessarily a bad tactic. Yeah, yeah. The brilliance of it is there was no archaeology at mm-hmm. the time. Mm-hmm. And after Napoleon, he kind of gets into this sort of thing and mm-hmm. starts encouraging the playing in the sandbox. Mm-hmm. People start digging around and they're like, hey, guess what? We found this whole city buried in the sand. We have no idea what it's about. And yeah. then they dig a little further and they're like, oh, it's a gate with a readable language. Oh my goodness. <laughs> we this just found... civilization did exist all along and had yeah. been forgotten to history. We just found Nineveh. We just right. found the Assyrians. Right. Right. Who people up into the mid 1800s, like a lot of people just thought they never, they didn't actually exist. Right. And then, and it was a huge reason to dis- disprove the Bible, right? Oh yeah, and now you can go like I've been to the British Museum, and like you can just see like you, they've brought all these things back to England, and you can just like you can just like walk by these like arches and these like statues and stuff that are yeah like two and a half thousand years old mm-hmm. of these Assyrian kingdoms, right? And all of a sudden, like these characters that the Bible names, like mm-hmm. Sennacherib, like. They're not. They're not like Marvel comic book characters anymore. It's like no, no, no. We found like his palace. Like mm-hmm. he did exist. It happened with the, in part with the Babylonians. They kind of knew that they knew Babylon existed, but they just didn't have a whole lot of hard evidence for it. But the Assyrians was one of those peoples that they thought the Bible just made up. They didn't. The Hittites, another one, thought they made them up. They didn't. Make, they existed. They mm-hmm. they totally. And the Bible was right. And the Bible. And so it actually, if anything, archaeology overall has has confirmed the the biblical historical and, account and even even some of the battles that the israelites had with these peoples mm. when they find these peoples they're like hey these people just recorded a battle let's let's read a little more about it <laughs> a battle with a group called the israelites 
right? Yeah. And and it's it's their take on it. Sure. So obviously, yeah. Self-aggrandizing probably on both sides. Sure. Interpreting the situation a little differently. Mm-hmm. Uh it happens in Egypt, right? People are like, well the Israelites is this massive roaming people like there's no evidence they were in Egypt and all that sort of stuff. They dig around. They're like, oh, look, we found another Pharaoh's tomb. And there's some inscriptions. And at the bottom of it, there's talk of the Israelites. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and so yeah. history keeps proving the historical accounts of Scripture yeah. in a way that we don't find with other myths. Yeah, you just don't. Because yeah. they don't even play—like, a lot of them anyways, most of them don't actually even— necessarily talk about like specific places and times and people mm-hmm. some do some some might make some reference to it but the bible is just full of that the bible you read the bible it's like the old testament in particular it's just full of like people and places and times and dates and like it's very specific mm-hmm. right and so like i mean if you're going to claim to be you know divine if as a document you know it is being put forward as being you know divinely inspired and, and scriptural um you know, you'd think if you were afraid of the criticism, you'd shy away from those details. The Bible's mm-hmm. full of details, mm-hmm. right? And so we don't need to be afraid. Uh, the Bible stands up to history. Um, there's any, also, any other of those kinds of jewels that you wanted to drop or is that? The prophetic fulfillment. Okay. Yeah. I think is a big thing too. Um, the The prophetic fulfillment, like there's like 300 Old Testament prophecies that are fulfilled in Jesus alone. And some of them are like, weirdly specific yeah i'm gonna step in and say i know that someone right now is being like there's 600 oh whatever right there's hundreds there's lots there are hundreds <laughs> the number varies sure depending on what you're going to call a prophecy right or or something that is there's also a, a thing called typology right where uh someone is a lesser form of mm-hmm. right so for example moses leads the people to God's promise, mm. but Joshua leads them into God's promise, delivers them into what has been promised to them, mm-hmm. the hope that awaited them, in a way that later Jesus, in a greater form, mm-hmm. the ultimate form, the archetype versus the prototype, mm-hmm. ushers God's people into the promise. Interestingly enough, <laughs> although although their names are very different in English, in Greek they're not. In Hebrew they're not. In Hebrew they're not. Yeah. Right? And uh, so two Joshuas. Mm-hmm. One is an archetype, a prototype, mm-hmm. and the other an archetype. Yep. And, and so sometimes people take those as prophecies as well, so the number's not static. Right. But there are hundreds. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. My favorite... Is Isaiah when it comes to prophecies fulfilled? Mm. Right? Mm. The number of people that will say Isaiah cannot have been written when it was written. Right. <laughs> because the prophet prophesied things that came true 600 years later. Right. So he, there has to be a late date for Isaiah. He names kings. Right. He names, he names a Persian king. He names Cyrus. Like, 200 years before Cyrus was born. It's wild. It's right. this crazy stuff. And so and so then the argument is, because he got it right, <laughs> we know that the book is wrong. Right. <laughs> it's crazy. Or you have, uh, you have Daniel. You have Daniel prophesying. Now, you got to kind of like interpret some of it, but you've got, you've got Daniel talking about like Alexander the Great's invasion, mm-hmm. right? You have that, that, um, that statue in the dream. Which is the, the rise and fall of multiple kingdoms. Yeah, exactly. And like, and you see the, like it's, and it's like, oh yeah, no, that's, that's, that's right. it. That's and how the it only out. secular argument is, it can't be, it had to have been written after these things because mm-hmm. it's too profoundly accurate. Right, right. Yeah. Right. That, I, I just reference our talk on willful disbelief. Exactly. Yeah, no, totally. Totally. Yeah, it's uh yeah. Do you want to keep going for a few minutes or where where do you think we're at cuz we got we I, we could keep talking for hours here. Yeah, I I mean this is going to end up being we talked about doing it in two parts. It looks like four at this point. <laughs> Probably. Let's let's just do this cuz I think we can do this in 10 minutes. Okay. Okay. As a wrap up for this section. Sure. Because in this the argument is going to be the Bible is way newer than we're giving it credit for. Mm. 
right? Because the Bible doesn't come about until the Council of Nicaea in the fourth century. Okay. We all know that this is true because we've been told so many times. And so when we make an argument for the antiquity of the Bible, Mm. we're making a false argument because it doesn't happen until Nicaea. I, I think it's important for us to understand what happens in Nicaea. Sure. And, and just, I, I, we, we can get into it more later, mm-hmm. but I, I think just brushing over it for now, one, the Old Testament mm-hmm. was canonized in the first century. Yeah, and you could even argue that the process of that actually started even earlier. Right. I, I'm just saying that by the time we see first century writings, mm-hmm. by the time we see the New Testament starting to come together, mm-hmm. there is an understood collection of the Old Testament mm-hmm. preserved as we have it now. Yep. Right? So the canon of the Old Testament is thousands of years old. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Predates Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, and and that's not to say that that's when it came to be, just that at that point we see it yeah. being used. Yeah. In that form. Well, and Jesus, so here's the other thing, because Jesus is going to quote many, many books of the Old Testament. Not all Mm -hmm. of them, at least from what we have preserved in the Gospels, but like lots of them. Right. Uh, He's going to quote them on a regular basis. So he's obviously, by his point, he's he's leaning on the authority of those. And not just merely the law, which the, the Pentateuch was kind of like always agreed upon as being this is scripture, but he's quoting prophets and he's quoting mm-hmm. writings. He's quoting all sorts of stuff, right? Right. Yeah. And and also there are what we call the apocryphal texts. Oh, those are fun. Many of those exist at this time. We'll we'll dig deeper into the apocryphal texts later on in this. Sure. But they are known and rejected as scripture. Some of them used as great tradition. Oh, yeah. In histories. Yeah, some some actually provide some really great historical insight to the time between the testaments. Right. But they've already been removed from the concept of canonized scripture given by God. Yeah. Right? A lot of times the argument, and people will do this for the New Testament too, uh, oh, there are all the the books the church doesn't want you to know about. Oh, no. Right? Look what I found on a dusty shelf. (laughs) Right? They were known about. They're mentioned in the Bible, in the Mm -hmm. New Testament. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. But not within the canon of Scripture, right, and never were seen as that. So the fact that there are other books that talk about Judaism and Christianity as if they were Scripture, not a surprise, wasn't a surprise in the first century, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? For sure. Those things had already been handled. At Nicaea, they don't come together and say, let's create the Bible, right? What they end up doing is saying, we have been at this for hundreds of years, yet there are these false teachings that keep persisting mm-hmm. and these false documents that keep popping up. Mm-hmm. We just need to definitively state that the church has never received these books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. These were, these were never anything that we believed to be credible as being written by an apostle upon the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And the evidence wasn't, how do we feel about it today? The, the point of conversation was, ha, is there any historical evidence that these were ever used as Scripture? Mm. And when the answer was no, the book was marked as other right. and set aside, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. is... And, and some of those, just to be clear, though, like some of those early books are not... Like some of them are, are clearly heretical Gnostic gospels. Oh, yeah. Gospel yeah, yeah, of yeah. Judas, Gospel of Thomas. Like there's yep. some weird, weird, wacky stuff. Some of it's just like early bishops writing a letter to Corinth, right? It's mm-hmm. like, you know, Clement's letter to, I don't know if Clement wrote to Corinth, but he wrote somewhere. Yeah. But like whatever, right? And so that can just be, it's like an, it's a historical insight to a bishop addressing some issues in a city. But even at Nicaea and amongst the early church, they said, well, that's just a bishop's letter to a church, mm-hmm. right? That's not. He's not an apostle. He's, He's not an apostle. It's not. It's not scripture, right? Right. And and some of them are pseudepigraphy, right? Right. Pseudepigraphy means nobody cares what I think, mm-hmm. but they care what someone more important than me thinks, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so I'm going to write what I think, and I'm going to sign that guy's name to it, right? 
right? So the Gospel of Barnabas, for example, right? right? Like how awesome would it be to have the truth of God presented by the guy who traveled with Paul? That's cool. Except Barnabas was never an apostle, never claimed to be an apostle, didn't pin a gospel, right? And so Mm -hmm. someone shows up with this book that they found in an ancient library. Oddly enough, the ink is still wet, so (laughs) don't smudge it. And he's just like, look what I found. Barnabas wrote a book. Let's let's inject it into the scripture with everything else. Mm -hmm. And people are like, why would Barnabas have written Mm -hmm. a book? He was a supporting character, um, not an apostle. So even if he did, again, mm-hmm. a great biblical figure, mm-hmm. not an apostle. Mm-hmm. Um, no other references to it inside of Scripture. Mm-hmm. Doesn't reference people of Scripture mm-hmm. in a way that sort of proves its historicity. Yeah. This is late. Yeah. Why have none of the churches ever talked about the letter from Barnabas, mm-hmm. right? When we comb the histories, there are hundreds of us here who have been studying this our entire lives, and no one here has ever heard of this mm-hmm. as being used in the early church. This is someone trying to inject their thoughts into Scripture, but they know we don't care what they think, but we would if it was from Barnabas, <laughs> exactly. right? And so, so that's how those books got set aside, mm-hmm. and that's how we... so. In a stretch of ways, Nicaea might canonize the New Testament mm-hmm. to close it and say, these are agreed upon as being mm-hmm. historically used, mm-hmm. no more, no less. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, if it was going to, yeah, not, there's nothing new that's going to pop out right. at that point. In so, you, so you can argue, you can argue for canonization in that way. What you can't argue is that all of these books were brought. They were all on a common playing field, right? And everyone went through and picked their favorites, and that's what became the Bible. It's just like a poll, right? That's not what it was. <laughs> yeah. Everyone brought the letters they were already using, which was essentially what we have as the canonized New Testament. Yeah. And other people were like, "Well, what about this one?" Everybody's like, "No, we we've been saying no to that one for three hundred years." Yeah. And that guy gets left out because obviously, right? Right. And so. So do then some of the groups take these apocryphal books and work them in? Yeah, but they also labeled them. Early on, they labeled them as such. Mm-hmm. And even today, the Catholic Bible has the apocryphal books. From the Old Testament, not from, from the, the Old New. Testament. Not from the New. I have a Catholic Bible, mm-hmm. and there's a two-paragraph prologue before the Book of Wisdom mm. that says, this book claims to be the Book of Wisdom of Solomon, but it was discovered in Alexandria... And the chances they were written by Solomon is plus or minus zero. (laughs) Yeah. Yet they include it, right? But even they would acknowledge, this is not Solomon. Mm -hmm. This is church tradition, and we keep it for that reason. Mm -hmm. Whereas the rest of us would say, cool tradition, not playing that game. Sure. Right? The extra chapters to Daniel are nonsense. <laughs> they have nothing to do with biblical story. Some of them are obviously Greek. Yeah. When yeah. the rest of Daniel is Aramaic. Right. Right? Yeah. Um, just in like puns. If you puns have... that puns of like rhyming words that work in Greek but they don't work in, in Aramaic. <laughs> just these weird things that yeah. the Catholic Church has chosen to keep, the Orthodox Church has chosen to keep, mm-hmm. that the rest of the churches were like, no. In the first century, yeah. they were rejecting these works. Mm-hmm. And why are you bringing them back in? And they're like, ah, yeah. it's tradition. Yeah, kind of. Although it wasn't the tradition of the, Cap- the Roman Catholic Church initially. It right. just, like In the Middle Ages, they decided to just kind of like grab. They're like, oh, you know that stuff that we kind of left on the outside? We'll throw it in. I mean, we'll put it under a separate heading, but like, you know, it's useful. And there might be a couple spots that affirm some of our extra biblical doctrines. So we'll just, you know, throw it in for that reason. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's weird that it, it made its way back in. Yeah. But, but some people will argue the point was just that they all came with an equal footing mm-hmm. and some were left out because of agenda. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah and no. and that's just not the case. No, that's no. not how we got here from there. Yeah. All right. So well, next time, I think yep, we're at t- an hour. We talked a little bit about like kind of what scripture is. We jumped ahead to Nicaea. We're gonna have to go back in time because mm-hmm. that was kind of jumping ahead. But it, it's helpful to kind of like 
button this this one. Yeah, so so here was my point behind it. Mm. I think it'll be helpful. Okay. My point was to say, let's look at the book of a whole, mm -hmm. and then we'll go back and look at Old Testament, New Testament. Right, right. Yeah, because I think what, what we're going to talk about, because the next kind of part of the explanation of why we can trust the Bible is looking at how it came to us. Yep. Can um, we trust the Old Testament? In its, in its can parts. Can we trust the New? Exactly. So that's a huge discussion and look forward to having it next time. Yeah. Here's a hint. Don't come at me with the whole telephone reference. <laughs> Thanks for listening. This podcast is a resource of Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario in cooperation with the Gospel Coalition of Canada. It's produced by Alex Walker. See you next time.